The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Up Close with Chris Tinney. Don't forget to visit ChrisTinney.com for more information about today's topics and download the new Spread Peace app that makes it easy to take action and advocate for the causes you care about. And now, here's your host, Chris Tinney. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. And today we're going to be getting up close with uh, Keith McHenry. And I'll tell you something, you are in for a treat. He's the co-founder of Food Not Bombs. Uh, Before we get to that, let me just kind of get a couple of housekeeping items out of the way for you folks. Had a great show last week that's been posted at ChrisTinney.com. It's also on the VoiceAmerica.com if you want to go there. Don't forget, this hour is not just about this one hour a week that we spend together. We're creating a whole group of people, a movement, if you will, of people that, that want to help prove there's a place for positive, uplifting conversation on talk radio. So we have our Goodreads group. If you're on Goodreads, go over there and put in Up Close with Chris Tenney. We're nominating authors of books, like the author we have on today, to, to speak, to, to get, come on our show and share, share their book and, and what they're all about. We have our Facebook group where you can connect there. And of course, we have our new phone app on ChrisTenney.com where you can download that and actually meet other people that are interested in the same causes as you if you want to help the homeless or if you want to help animals so uh, make sure you get involved I, it would be a shame if it ended after this one hour I like you I want to hang out not in a creepy kind of way in a, in a nice kind of way <laughs> let me get to today's show folks Taisha and I traveled the country for about four and a half five years feeding the homeless in our RVs went out every day spent about a year up in Reno uh, opened up a food bank up there we were down in Tarpon Springs Florida where we spent some time with food not bombs uh, over that time I learned that there is no lack of food. I, there isn't. I, I mean, there were people that had food that wouldn't give it to me because they were afraid that they were that they were going to get sued. There were shops that were throwing it out every night, and there was no lack of food. What there was a lack of were people. It was just a lack of people willing to actually do something about it. And so we started running around and creating groups and, and had groups getting together. And as we traveled the country, I met another group of people that were out there in a lot of places. And I'm vegan and they were vegan. So we hit it off and they were doing some awesome things. One, they were making vegan and vegetarian meals for people. We're going to find out a little bit more about that in just a minute. They were having a festival in the park in Tarpon. People were playing the guitar, whether it's three people or, or 30 people. It's still a festival if it's a Food Not Bombs event because they're actually, it's about coming together as people and for a movement. So if you're not familiar with Food Not Bombs, you're in for a real treat this next hour because we have on the phone with us the co-founder of Food Not Bombs uh, just a little over 35 years ago. They just uh, celebrated their anniversary. It was founded by a group of people out of Massachusetts. They went out uh, and started feeding the homeless. And the, what has ha- transpired over that past 35 years 
is absolutely nothing short of amazing. A global organization on every single continent, I think, except except Antarctica the last time I looked, but who knows? Maybe there's a chapter up there in, in Antarctica mm-hmm. now. Uh, our guest today, the co-founder, Keith McHenry, served a total of two years in jail, the various times he's been jailed for feeding the homeless. And the reason I was so excited about having him on the show today is because that's how I got started. I was throwing food over the fence in Tent City in Reno, Nevada, and then they threatened to arrest me if I didn't leave. And I said, you're going to arrest me for feeding the homeless? I couldn't believe this. This was like five years ago. And they said, yes. And I said, well, you know what? Go ahead. I'll call my mom. She'll be proud. And that's how <laughs> I got started on the streets. And when I read this story, Keith, I, I, I want to get to your personal story because it's, it's so touching and, and inspiring to t- take action. But, but just for our listeners that aren't familiar with Food Not Bombs, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and the scope and size of your operation today? Yeah, well, I um, well, I'm an artist and um, and a food not bombs organizer and an author, and wow. I, the, I got started when I was 22 years old doing food not bombs, and and um, basically they, the, I was a produce worker because that's a great and for young people a great way to make a living because uh, you have to get done by about nine nine thirty in the morning setting up the produce before um, and then you go off to school because you need all the nice, fresh produce all trimmed and everything by the time the store opens and people start coming into shop. So that's what I was doing, and it was a natural food store. I got hired because I'd been a produce worker, a volunteer at uh, Boston Food Co-op, uh, and I felt terrible. I had all this food produce that people hadn't bought the, the week, and um, so I would start to box it. You know, I'd have it boxed up. Instead of throwing it in the trash, I'd take it down to the projects. And um, this store was in Central Square in Cambridge, and I'd go down to Portland Avenue in Cambridge to the housing project and give them all my produce. And one day I'm talking to them, and there was a vacant lot across the street, and they built this uh, a bunch of starting to build buildings. And one of them was this building called Draper Lab. And I asked them what it was, and they said, well, it's where they're designing nuclear missiles. So I looked into it, and sure enough, they're designing the guidance system for intercontinental nuclear missiles. And that gave me the idea to have the name Food Not Bombs. And uh, we had already been doing, like, some graffiti outside grocery stores, Money for Food, Not for Bombs. But this just totally clicked as a name. And then at the same time, on May 24th, 1980, um, you know, Reagan had gotten elected and things were going crazy. Like, you could tell there were going to be a big arms race against the Soviet Union and there's already cuts in, in uh, you know, education and so on. And so we had a feeling there'd be more homeless people and more poverty. So the, so um, at the same time, the nuclear power industry was trying to build all these nuclear power stations, and there was one being built north of Boston in Seabrook, New Hampshire, and one of my classmates got arrested at a protest on May 24th, and that afternoon we decided, the eight of us that became Food Not Bombs, decided that we would work um, together and we would start doing bake sales to raise money for Brian's legal fees. And so the um, we wouldn't make any money on the bake sales, but then the um, we came up with this idea when I had a, a moving job. These people were throwing out a um, poster that said, wouldn't it be a beautiful day if the schools had all the money they needed and the Air Force had to hold the bake sale to buy a bomber. And for listeners in the United States, you know the PTA, uh, Parent Teacher Association often will have bake sales to raise money for the just basic stuff that the that the government should be paying for for education. They pay for it in other countries, uh, like they, you know, in Europe up until recently, all that was paid for. 
Um, so the, uh, you know, that's a classic thing, the Parent Teacher Association bake sale. So we thought what we should do is get, is buy some art, surplus military uniforms at the Central Square Army Navy surplus, dress up as soldiers, go out with our baked goods and, and take the sign, lean it against our table and tell people we're trying to buy, um, you know, trying to buy a B-1 bomber. And then um, that turned out we didn't really raise more money, but a lot of people like would stop and talk to us, thought it was really funny, and we'd get to talk to them about nuclear power and nuclear arms race and Brian's case. And then the final thing that becomes Food Not Bombs was um, we had um, uh, realized that the Bank of Boston's board of directors were also the same men that were the board of directors of the company building Seabrook Nuclear Power Station. They were on the board buying the nuclear power station, and they were on the boards of Raytheon and Lockheed and these uh, other military contractors. And we thought, wow, that's a lot like the Great Depression where, you know, bankers just lent themselves money without oversight, and there was no... Um, you know, like a firewall between them, and they just were, you know, were basically robbing the, their uh, depositors. And we thought, well, okay, what we'd do is we'd go out, dress up as hobos, like we'd seen in the movies and the photos of the Great Depression. We'd make soup. We'd read, you know, I'd, we, a lot of us had read, you know, Steinbeck's Grapes uh, of Wrath and stuff, so we knew about the soup kitchens, or, you know, the, of the time. And really, and the thing that's remarkable is there really weren't soup kitchens in, in the United States at that time to speak of. So when we went out on, on March 26, 1981, with our big pot of soup, we were, like, worried nobody would come. So that, the night before our, our meal, I went to the Pine Street Inn and gave a little speech to the guys there. And they were, like, so excited that there'd be a protest, like the 60s. It wasn't really about the food for them. They were just interested in the fact somebody was trying to make a, you know, like a statement. So they, uh, the next day they show up, and we were feeding people from on this, you know, that lived in the streets and uh, stockholders that were sympathetic to what we're doing. And, um, and, then all, and also just the general public coming out of South Station, like workers and business people. And many people commented they had never seen something like this except for in the movies. And um, so the homeless guys are pointing out that there's no food for homeless people in Boston and that it would be great if we did this every day. So that night we thought, man, that's a great idea. Why don't we just quit our jobs and do nothing but collect food and <laughs> do street theater on the streets and deliver food to housing projects. And and um, this might meet all of our uh, um goals, which we're trying to get the American public to see that the nuclear weapons industry, that the military, you know, is wasting like, uh, you know, like at least half the federal budget or, or federal income tax that people paid was going to the military, but that they had, you know, they, they had, um, you know, were making cuts in, in uh, all kinds of other programs and, and Tuition was going up for public schools and all that, and it was just, you know, we could see the trend that it was going already at that time. And so that night, we um, we vowed that we would, uh, you know, when we're washing up the pots and pans and everything, that we'd just start to do this and um, started just doing food not bombs full time. We'd go out to Harvard Square every night. We'd get friends with, you know, musical instruments to come out and perform. We'd make puppet shows. We made these Super 8 movies about different subjects like solar power and, you know, uh, you know, clean air or about why we're vegan and vegetarian and animal rights and um, stuff about the wars in Central America, about the nuclear arms race. 
about uh, the Soviet invasion of Poland, something that we were organizing against at the time, which really surprised people because they thought we were communists and that we'd love the Soviet Union invading Poland. And, um, you know, and it was just a, an amazing uh, thing that happened every single night, basically, after we'd spend the day handing out, you know, uncooked produce and bread and everything to people at public housing projects and at the Rosie's Place, the Bad Women's Shelter. And so the eight of us grew and grew and grew into all kinds of volunteers. And and uh, we all lived, you know, we had point, maybe had 20 people living in our house. We took food to protests like in Washington, D.C. and New York City. And um, and it was just a really remarkable um, birth to... to uh, this whole thing. And I was at the time very influenced by my American history professor, Howard Zinn. And so, um, you know, we took a lot of his ideas about social change that we had learned from, uh, that I had learned by associating with him and incorporated them into Food Not Bombs, like the literature tables and banners and um, trying to really talk to the public and let people that disagreed with our ideas challenge us and see how we would uh, react and learn and and uh, we were also influenced by uh, Jul- by Julian Beck and the Living Theater out of New York. So we sort of had a whole theatrical aspect. We were also influenced by Francis Moore LePay's Diet for a Small Planet, and uh, we were influenced by uh, we got our recipes from the Farm Cookbook out of um, you know out of uh, Tennessee. And so that's where our roots all come from: the Diet for a Small Planet, Living Theater. Howard's in in the People's History of the United States, and um, and the recipes out of the farm cookbook. Well, you know that's interesting because when I was posting about this show, I had some people that say, "Are you interviewing those communists?" <laughs> I had a lot of people. Uh-huh. I had a lot of people that said, "I, you know, I got food from them when I was really down and out." All of those far outweighed the other ones. So, but I was taken aback when I was reading your book, "Hungry for Peace," uh, folks. If you haven't, you should get this. It, it's just it's available as a free PDF on the website. But I encourage you to go ahead and order one from them as well and help contribute. And and then you have a hard copy that you can give people. "Hungry for Peace: How You Can Help End Poverty and War with." Food food, not bombs. And you talked a little bit about how it's not really just going out there and serving food because people are hungry. You're actually making a statement by taking that action. Can, can Maybe we can clarify it for everybody right now. What statement are you making? Well, you know, the thing is that so much of our resources are going to things like bombs. And if, that, if our resources were going for, to education, health care, um, you know, uh, infrastructure, uh, promoting things like organic gardening, alternative energy, things like that, there would be a lot higher rate of employment in the United States. People would have a lot more opportunity. And we can see directly that when Reagan had come to power and to start diverting money from social services and from education and other uh, infrastructure projects to the arms race, that the homeless population increased. So when we started in 1980, there was roughly 100,000 homeless Americans. It was such a small number relative to the whole population that no census was even taken. There was no, like, controversy or anything. It was, these were veterans, mostly from, uh, you know, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, that were, um, you know, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, things of that nature, and that were living on the streets, some mentally ill that just weren't uh, falling through the cracks. And, uh, but it wasn't, you could get like public housing, you could get assistance, you could get uh, access to uh, food stamps, you could 
you know, there was a lot of, of support. And education was uh, inexpensive enough that you could actually go to college, go to a community college, trade school, and then leave and get a good job. You could work, make $30 an hour, like, as a, you know, working even without an education. So all that stuff was available at that time. But then when the money started getting diverted into uh, the arms race, it, that uh, all changed. And you could see that by the end of the four years of Reaganomics, of, uh, the homeless population had grown from this uh, roughly 100,000 Americans to what the census at the time, which I helped participate in, was up to uh, um, over 750,000 homeless Americans. Wow. And... Um, now it's in the area of about three million, and um, and and the population though is not of America has not increased that dramatically. Um, it's the fact it's the social um, policies of the government and of corporations, and in the things that like currently that we're facing, like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the fast track that was just passed in the Senate and the House and signed by Obama, it's going to escalate that whole crisis. You know, so it's a combination of things that occurred. The crime bill under Clinton, um, so you had the Reaganomics and neoliberal structural adjustment that we see, um, which devastated many countries, and but, you know, definitely the United States. And then you see the, um, the whole problems of, uh, um, of these trade agreements, like NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, CAFTA, the World Trade Organization's policies, uh, investment policies of IMF, World Bank, these things just keep like increasing poverty um, and driving the standard of living down. And for Americans, it's been kind of a it's like the uh, you know the uh, frog in the in the in the water where you turn up the heat and the frog doesn't jump out because it's just not scalding hot. It just gets slowly turned up and turned up until it cooks the frog. Well, we're Americans are in a face like that. You know, we, whereas Europeans, the whole system of the Eurozone, everything happened very rapidly. People were, were, uh, college age when it was introduced and now they're, you know, like the middle age today. So they watched their education system be destroyed, their healthcare system be destroyed. So you see much larger protests and, and social change actions occurring. Um, in countries where it happens much more quickly, and that's what you're seeing with the, you know, the eurozone problems with uh, Greece and so on, because the whole thing just happened very rapidly as opposed to a slow boil that we've seen over the past 35 years in the United States. So the bottom line in food not bombs is our, our what we're trying to say is this, which is also highlighted in, by food first and by diet for a small planet, is that the issue is not growing more food. You know, because there is this myth that the, if you figure out better forms of agriculture, then somehow you can end hunger. But it's actually, it turns out there's, uh, you know, nearly 40% or more of the food that's grown in America is just thrown away. And we recover the highest quality of that discarded food to use for food, not bombs. But, the, uh, but it's more the fact it's access to food that's the issue. And so it's a matter of not having the income available to purchase good food. It's uh, also the problem of, uh, you know, grocery stores leaving low-income neighborhoods because it's not profitable. So, you know, you have to take a bus a long way to get some food. Um, also, the quality of food can be just really horrible. So you're eating a lot, gaining a lot of weight, but not getting any nutrition. So you have all these different policies like that that are all colliding together. And the, the solution is actually changing the way society is organized. And we believe, and this is one of our focuses, is that, if we organize and get people thinking about these ideas 
about going vegan, about reducing animal agriculture, and all the political ramifications of animal agriculture, uh, but from uh, climate change, from corporate control that uh, um, is the core of animal agriculture in the United States particularly, but also, you know, in Europe and other countries, um, that... Uh, we could really solve these problems. We could end world hunger. And, and, and going plant-based is really key to going to ending world hunger, but also just changing the whole, you know, idea of, like, the whole mindset. The, the food, food's a basic human right. And uh, just like, you know, health is a human right, food's a human right, shelter's a human right. So our goal is to change society so no one has to stand in line to eat a soup kitchen, and no one has to, like, live outside under a bridge, but everyone has the housing, clothing, food, education, dignified life that, that um, they deserve, since the people living on the streets are the people that made our country. They're the workers that were out there, you know, building the roads, you know, building the houses, cleaning, you know, cleaning the buildings, picking, harvesting the food. You know, they were doing the stuff and are doing the stuff that is making America possible. And so why should they be suffering, going hungry themselves, living in the streets? You know, this is, um, you know, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, uh, Keith, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to hear about how you and your group of friends with the actions you just described ended up uh, with a spark that has now gone global. We'll be right back after this break. Would it be crazy if you just stopped? Everything. Packed your bags and left. For a week. A month. A year. What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about. To build libraries and fill them with stories. Prepare a meal with food you helped grow. To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Hemp Inc. is the first publicly traded company focused on growing and processing hemp right here in the United States of America. The USA is the number one importer of hemp, and as more farmers begin growing it here in the United States, Hemp Inc. stands ready with the only equipment in North America to process the crops. Hemp Inc. brings you all the latest products while continuing to educate the world about the healing benefits of this incredible plant. Go to hempinc.com. That's H-E-M-P-I-N-C.com. Stock symbol H-E-M-P on the OTC market. Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? Nonprofitfundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at nonprofitfundraising.com. That's nonprofitfundraising.com. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. 
To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Up Close. I am your host, Chris Tinney, and today we're speaking with with uh, Keith here, the, Keith, the founder of Food Not Bombs. I, I'm still have a smile on my face from our conversation during the break. You're going to get a chance to hear it too. He shared with us the story of more than 35 years ago. He and his friends in Cambridge and Boston, Massachusetts started gathering the food after work that he could, was able to get as a produce. We worked in the produce department and there was all this food being thrown away. He pointed out that today over 40% of our food is being thrown away. It's As we started out in the very beginning, that's a myth that there is no lack of food. I saw this on the streets with Spread Peace USA, uh, Food Not Bombs. You see it in all the different chapters that they're at. They, there's lots of food, folks. There's just not as many people as we could use in this fight to help redistribute or, or change the direction. And that, you know, that that's where people start calling you a communist because you want to feed the homeless. I, I never did understand that. Uh, but Keith, I was I was asking you about that spark. What what happened? Because from Cambridge and your group of people making films and protesting the war and, and the nuclear power plant uh, to a global organization that it is today, was there some kind of spark that that lit a fire? Or can you share with us how that happened? Yeah, so I um, moved to San Francisco and decided to start a second chapter. And this time I actually wrote down the, um, you know, the, the steps I was taking just in case somebody else out there might want to start a Food Not Bombs. And so um, to get the equipment for the San Francisco group, I actually was asked by an organization called American Peace Test to bring food to the Nevada test site um, at a protest against underground nuclear testing. And so I, I bought all my equipment, my pots and pans and everything, and cutting boards and stuff, and big thing of uh, 50 pounds of miso. And I went out there and fed, fed that protest of Mercury, Nevada. And then, um, oddly enough, it's while doing it, this group of young people came up and they said, oh, wow, we, have, uh, we feed the hungry in Long Beach, California, and we're using the name uh, Bread Not Bombs because we'd heard of Food Not Bombs, but I had no idea how to get a hold of you because remember Google and all that doesn't exist at the time. Right. And so uh, we were afraid that we might get sued, so we, we are using the name Bread Not Bombs. And we explained, no, no, you can use the name Food Not Bombs. It would be a lot better because if you use Bread Not Bombs, people will like, think you're just out for money because bread being a slang for money. And food is pretty clear. It's, uh, you know, you can't really twist that too bad. And uh, it would be great if we had three groups. And they go, oh, really? That's so cool. And they gave them flyers. They could use a logo. And so before long, Camille and and uh, and Seth and, and uh, River and all them are doing Food Not Bombs down in Long Beach. You know, they're calling themselves that. And I go back to San Francisco and do Food Not Bombs there. That was in March of uh, 88. So then uh, I get a... The, this, I'm asked, uh, this hippie comes by, and he says, oh, man, you can get a permit for this if you write a letter to the Parks Department. And I go, oh, yeah, this is a liberal city. It's real cool. I, you know, I'll probably get my street performance permit like I had one in Cambridge. It would be real great. Write a letter to the Parks Department, and I don't hear from them. I go by every once in a while because the cops walk by and go, oh, you got a permit? And they go, oh, I wrote a letter. I don't know. And I'm just, like, really naive about how unliberal San Francisco is <laughs> because on October, August 15th of 1988, without any warning, really, 45 riot police come out of the fog in Golden Gate Park and surround the table. They confiscate everything, and they arrest 
nine of us, including myself, for sharing food without a permit. The next day, they made the mistake of letting the San Francisco Chronicle know that they were going to do this, so they brought a photographer and a reporter. So on the next day, Tuesday, the... Um, 16th, there's a big photo across all three columns of riot police guarding the food from the hungry and uh, headline, nine volunteers arrested feeding homeless at Golden Gate Park. That freaked out people. So the next week, all these people are like, oh, we want to get involved, we want to get involved. So uh, um, another uh, currently pretty well-known activist, David Soldnet, made a poster, uh, you, know, ever, you know, announcing that it'll be a march. Bring your pots and pans and spoons to use as musical instruments. Uh, we're going to meet at the one end of Hay Street, march down to the other end, and set up a table to hand out more food. So we do that. About 100 people show up to get to do that, and they arrest um, 24 people. And there was a new TV company called Cable Network News. And it was brand new. It was, this, it was like the fourth wow. TV uh, station that had come online, you know, national TV station. It was actually a worldwide TV station Turner, by uh, Turner, Ted Turner. And uh, we now call it CNN, of course. And um, it broadcast the riot police coming out. Now probably like nearly, you know, 80 riot police arresting 24 people. And uh, made world news. The uh, London Times, the Times of India, New York Times, um, all the AP, UPI, all these uh, media outlets reported on the arrest. And that, all of a sudden, people start calling me. I had like a little uh, answering service, a mailbox, et cetera, I paid $10 a month for. Turned out right. they had to hire three people to answer my damn phone all day. And it was costing them at five bucks an hour, like hundreds of dollars a month just to answer my phone. So they asked me to give up my contract because it was, this wasn't fair and I agreed to that's you know they're paying like hundreds of dollars to right. and I'm paying ten dollars and so but also we're getting mail and so I made this flyer based on the my you know notes that I'd taken called seven steps to starting the food up bombs which we still use we modified it when they invented MySpace and they invented you know Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that but otherwise it's basically the same idea and I would mail that to you and but by the end of uh they finally stopped arresting us on uh September. They made like fifty four arrests on uh Labor Day. And um it was it turns out we served every Monday and that was a holiday and like about two thousand people showed up to get arrested and it freaked out the mayor. He gave us this temporary permit which he renewed every six weeks for uh, you know, for almost a year. And um and Groups start up in Seattle, Victoria, uh, British Columbia, New York City, and, and um, you know, starting to become a little thing. And then the next year, homeless people organized a tent city protest in San Francisco in front of City Hall. And they invited us. They, they were inspired by Tenement Square. And this is before the, the Tenement Square camp, you know, occupation had been crushed by the government. So, you know, they're, they're seen in the news and on newspapers and stuff. Um, Young people, you know, camping out in front of the government building in Tenement Square for uh, democracy and, and freedom and so on. You know, that's what they're seeing in the U.S. media. And so they said, well, we're going to do the same thing because we're being attacked by the police and people are attacking us on the streets. And it's like, you know, it's not fair. So we're going to camp out in front of City Hall, the tent city protest. And we got invited to feed that. We provided free vegan meals for... Um, 24 hours a day for 27 days. And then the um, 
the mayor uh, said there's this new shelter everyone could move into, and unfortunately, it didn't really work out that way. Um, but so there became another wave of, of arrests, and um, and you know we started getting busted again. And that inspired more chapters. And the same thing happened. Uh, that mayor lost the election, and it was said because he arrested Bruno Bonds. But the new mayor was the former chief of police that had been arresting us. He ran on the anti-homeless campaign. And then he actually organized things so that we started getting felony conspiracy to serve free food in violation of a court order arrest. There became another um, roughly 700 arrests during his administration. Um, ending in uh, in 1995 when we had the second Food Not Bombs World Gathering. The first World Gathering was in '92 when, uh, and that was in San Francisco because, and we chose to do it there because San Francisco was um, chosen to be the official city to uh, celebrate the 500th anniversary of Columbus discovering the New World, and we were associated with uh, Aboriginal and Native people. And um, we've always had a deep connection with them from the very beginning where we helped feed a, a, a protest of Mohawk people in Adirondacks in, in the early 80s. And uh, I have a long connection with the Hopi, uh, in, a lifelong connection, because my grandfather lived with the Hopi in Arizona. So when we heard that they were going to protest, um, we decided that, uh, the 500th anniversary of Columbus coming to the New World, we decided to organize our first Food Not Bombs World Gathering, and it was at that gathering we came up with three principles, which we still have to this day, that the food is always vegan and vegetarian, and free without restriction to anyone, rich or poor, stoned or sober, that the second one is that we have no leaders, we make decisions using the consensus process, and every group's autonomous, there's no headquarters, presidents, or anything like that. And that uh, um, we invite the people that are uh, eating with us to participate in guiding the direction and making decisions about what your local food up bombs is doing. And that the third thing is that we're not a charity, but dedicated to nonviolent social change. Um, you know, where we're attempting, as I said before in the first segment, to make make a world where uh, no one has is forced to live on the streets, no one's forced to stand in a line to eat to get their food. And that, uh, and that everyone has the education, health care, and, and shelter and food um, that they, uh, you know, that they des- uh, desire. So that, um, you know, that did, those were our three principles, and we still have them to this day. And did those arrests then kind of taper off? Because I, I noticed, you know, it was just, what, 2011, I saw all over the news that Food Not Bombs were, was getting arrested down in Florida. I've seen other threats, uh, I, I'm sure around the, the world, but I've, I've been mostly following you here in the U.S. What's the status of, what, what's happened over those years between then and now in terms of arrests, and what do you see happening today? Well, you know, it's interesting. There was a spat of arrests in the uh, 90s um, and a little bit in the 80s throughout other cities in California. Um, and um, so their Arcata, California, had some arrests, but then the city gave up because people mobilized there. L.A. arrested a few of us, but they um, we sued them and won a lawsuit there. Um, then in, in 2000, the uh, volunteers, well, I got framed on the California Three Strikes Law in 94 and faced 25 to life in prison. I was the first white person to face the California Three Strikes Law. 
I got charged with assault, battery, strong arm robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, possession of stolen property. And uh, the stolen property were 24 Berkeley Farms dairy milk crates that we borrowed to bake a table, which we returned to the vegetarian restaurant on Market Street every day if the police didn't take our milk crates. But um, I got charged with that. I got attacked by the mayor's film commissioner, which is how I got the assault charges while I was making a phone call to recover my vehicle from having been towed from a lawful parking space in front of City Hall and, and so on. So the, 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 it started to kind of change from being like overt arrests out on the street, building more and more popular support for food not bombs, to these other things of like trying to frame us. So the first uh, terrorism, overt terrorism charges that any of our volunteers were accused of was um, of no, I just want to make this clear to I just want to make this clear to our listeners that might be just now tuning in or, or, or jumping into this conversation. This is all because you're just trying to feed the homeless. You're, you're, you're the, all you're doing out there on the street is trying to feed the homeless and and hand out your literature and let people know that that uh, you know there is that scarcity of food is a myth. This is they just don't want you to feed the to feed people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're dead, you know. Um, I guess I might not have made it clear on the third uh, principle is we're dedicated to nonviolent social change. So we are absolutely dedicated to nonviolence, um, and you find that throughout my book, and you, we have a nonviolent statement, and so on. So the thing that happened, um, what it turns out, that they indicated even early on in 1988, and this is before the Berlin Wall came down, and it was clear there was going to be an end of the Soviet Union, um, they, uh, Funa Bonska declared America's most hardcore terrorist group, and um, there was a workshop on Thanksgiving uh, weekend, um, which we learned about at the end of the weekend, uh, focusing on food not bom- using food not bombs as an example of, uh, uh, well, it, it basically the, the military personnel that we talked to, each one of them said that we were called America's most hardcore terrorist group. And, um, and they showed our logo on a, power, on a slideshow when they were, you know, spent three days with the National Guard and National Guard armies all across the United States. Um, Explaining how, what we're, why we're a threat to them. But then what we found out, there was a, I saw a lecture on C-SPAN, and it turned out they were comparing us to Al-Qaeda. This was a lecture in April of uh, 2009, I believe, Yeah, at the Fletcher School of Diplomacy. I saw the lecture twice on CNN, I mean C-SPAN, and if I hadn't seen it twice, I would have thought I was hallucinating. But what they were saying is that we were... Um, the State Department official was saying that the problem with food-up bombs, and the police in San Francisco, even in 88, said that they didn't mind we're feeding the homeless, that we're making a political statement, and that's not allowed. So the issue turned out that the military uh, contractors and people profiting from it uh, consider it a national security threat because they're afraid the American people would think, wow, why are we out here on the streets starving? Why we have no homes? Why can't we have access to education? Um, yet we got the world's largest military. In fact, our military is so large, it's um, larger than all the other militaries put together combined. And, um, and therefore, it would be a threat to the you know, that people might want to start diverting money to education and healthcare and stuff, and then that would reduce the profitability and the power of the military. And that's why it turned out we were... Um, you know, what the State Department said we, uh, was the reason why we're more dangerous than Al-Qaeda. And um, so, the, uh, you know, this is, the, you know, so that's why there's been so much emphasis. And, and um, you know, recently, a volunteer, Food Not Bombs volunteer, and, and like many Food Not Bombs volunteers, we do many different things. So he was involved in 
you know, climate change protests and things like that, but he was also very dedicated to food not bombs and uh, named Eric McDavid. He got sentenced to 20 years in prison for um, uh, uh, domestic terrorism, but it turned out the uh, federal judge finally, uh, we, he got a better legal support, and his, uh, um, which took like 10 years, basically, to do. And they got before a judge and showed that this uh, FBI created the entire thing, that the, Eric himself was in no way involved. He was the, the target of an FBI um, um, effort to smear him. You have a similar thing with uh, Jeremy Hampton, as a Food Not Bombs volunteer who's uh, in prison right now, and he was targeted, um, not uh, merely because he was in Food Not Bombs, although that potentially is where how he got on the um, um, radar, but because he was, had uncovered this private security firm in Austin, Texas, uh, Stratfors, uh, details about infiltrating and undermining democratic process of, you know, of peaceful groups, that, nonviolent groups in the United States, like Food Not Bombs. So he's got, I think, 10 years in, in prison. The Cle- Cleveland Food Not Bombs kids uh, were targeted by the FBI. Um, the FBI created an entire terrorist campaign and then tried to pin it on, and did pin it on the Food Not Bonds volunteers, and and uh, they were unwittingly, uh, you know, known to them, they ended up being swept up in a, in this case, and they got uh, time in prison. So they kind of changed their tactics to frame us in, as domestic terrorists. So virtually all of the um, non-Muslim uh, people that have been accused, and, you know, sometimes we win our cases, like Connor Cash and, like, uh, Josh Connell in, in uh, Orange County. You know, some of us get accused of terrorism, or like myself, I settled my case. I, um, so we, you know, uh, that became the tactic. But then there have been a, wave, a new wave of arrests, and now this is becoming a, a, another crisis that I think is escalating. Well, I'll, um, t- I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a good spot right there, Keith. I'll tell you what, we're going to take okay. one more break, and then when we come back, we're going to hear about this. I, I, we, before, before we take this break, though, so the, the political statement, though, was just because you had liter- literature there while you were there or because you were speaking? I mean, it, it blows my mind that, that standing out somewhere with a table and food for the homeless and some brochures about you know how we can make the world a better place um, can be seen as a political. I mean, I don't know what's political about feeding people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the fact that we were in a high visibility location where there's lots of foot traffic, where people we with, and we're there for two hours with literature yeah. and a sign that says "Food Not Bombs," and they, so I mean, yeah. there's a real yeah, big it's... effort in the United States to get you know where the police come and say, "Oh, you can feed the homeless, you can't can't have a sign that says "Food Not Bombs," and you just can't have flyers." That's unbelievable. Well, folks, stay tuned because when we come back, we're going to hear about what's happening today. I, it, it blew my mind when I, they threatened me with arrest for feeding the homeless. And now I'm seeing it over and over again. Over 31 states currently have made it illegal to feed the homeless. And you're going to hear all about it when we get back right after this break. Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? Nonprofitfundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at nonprofitfundraising.com. That's nonprofitfundraising.com. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? 
or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business, or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? What if you established your own path, one that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way, or spend your life saying, "What if"? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call one eight hundred four two four eight five eight zero, or go to peacecorps.gov. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial one eight six six. 472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Up Close. I'm Chris Tinney, your host, and today we're spending some time and getting up close with Keith McHenry, the co-founder of Food Not Bombs and author of Hunger for Peace, How You Can Help End Poverty and War with Food Not Bombs. We got done talking a little bit about how they got started more than 35 years ago in Cambridge, Massachusetts, when he as a produce worker was able to glean food and take it off to the projects afterwards, and his friends started joining him. That blossomed into uh, anti-war protests when, as the war broke out uh, and branching off into some other areas. It was in San Francisco in the late 80s when, when the, they started threatening him with arrest and, and the SWAT team showed up to eventually stop them, that it really started a spark and people started, started contacting him. Uh, they've got a little bit of muscle. He shared some stories with us about how some of the Food Not Bombs volunteers have gotten some legal help and fortunately some after 10 years in jail. But we're now getting ready to talk about what's happening today with more than 31 states making food illegal. Um, you know, Real quick, maybe, Keith, you can share with us what's the status of, of this today and why do you think they're – I mean, now it's not even claiming it's a political statement. They're just saying, no, you can't even feed people. And then I want to hear a little bit about your book because I just more and more impressed the more I dig into that. Well, yeah. So, you know, as you say, it's 31 states. It's 71 cities. Um, that they, uh, they have, there apparently is a, there's actually, um, I, you know, there was the most recent arrest that many people heard of our Arnold Abbott, who the uh, 90-year-old World War II vet, who coincidentally was also very active with Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, who dedicated his entire 20 years of his retirement, or at least uh, 15 years, to teaching people how to feed the homeless and to feeding the homeless in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, Food Not Bombs itself has been targeted there be- before. I met Arnold Abbott uh, back when they were first trying to stop Food Not Bombs in 2011 in Fort Lauderdale, and they had made a wave of anti-meal law, you know, large group feeding laws throughout Florida in uh Really, even as early as 2009, and and it wound through the federal courts. Our case in Orlando, ultimately, we lost in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and we um, sustained 12, 24 arrests in Orlando. But the mayor was so um, freaked out by the global attention and the outrage at it that he eventually, uh, you know, gave in. And that group, you know, I visited them recently about a year ago, and. And now there, like about 150, 200 people wrapped around City Hall eating with food up bombs like wow. twice a week. So I was like <laughs> really crazy. Great. And they made it worse for themselves. And then um, for Lauderdale, I hired a consultant. There's a, there's these consultants that go around and they claim that um, 
it's, you should not feed the homeless outside in public because it just encourages them. And it discourages them from somehow getting uh, help with uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, and and something like that. But the reality is that, um, you know, you know, anybody that works with a homeless community, that's, a, that's really complete nonsense. And, um, and you know, it's really, you know, you I saw the same thing, Keith. I, you know, it, 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 it was fine as long as you stay off in the area where nobody can see you. Well, sometimes that wasn't even fine. But, is, you know, they really, it, it, they don't want the homeless people around. I mean, that's the bottom line. They, they, they'd prefer that they, you know, I, I just can't believe that they would see what's happening out here on the streets with so many people homeless, nearly 40,000 homeless people dying on the streets every year. And now all of a sudden there's this resurgent of cities trying to make it, well, they've done it. They're making it illegal to, to feed the homeless. How are you guys, how are you guys dealing with that today? Well, it's very interesting. We have the same, you know, it's a very fascinating thing because when the city, you know, most recently in a, you know, after Orlando, they made a bunch of arrests there and the, and we sued them in Orlando and sort of don't know that, but I mean, I'm sorry, Fort Lauderdale and, um, Fort Lauderdale's government was embarrassed by the whole thing. And they kind of like tried to sneak away and pretend like they never actually arrested for not bombs or, or any of the other church groups there. So what we found is by standing up to the cities, um, they become intimidated. And we recently heard in Santa Cruz, which is one of the places in California where I'm really active with, we share food twice a week there, um, Saturday and Sunday in front of City Hall, I mean in front of the downtown post office. And um, the city officials said they wouldn't touch us with a 10-foot pole because they know they start to (laughs) get rid of us. So we've actually got a little bit bolder. They're just shutting down the shelter there. They just eliminated meals uh, this week for homeless people in, in uh, Santa Cruz, California, 1,000 meals a week. Um, so we're getting a lot more people coming to eat with us, and we've been building a pro- – we've been doing these emergency breakfasts in front of the shelter and so on. And, um, you know, it's really pr- quite outrageous that they're doing this. And uh, we heard that they're going to no longer have showers. They already – everybody complained they didn't have access to showers as it was, so we – uh, my partner, Abby Samuels, came up with this great idea of doing outdoor showers. And so we do outdoor showers every Sunday. We also, like, have, I have volunteer barbers, and and um, and my uh, partner, Abby, also was able to score some barber chairs from a friend of hers. And barbers come out and give free haircuts to people. So we're slowly building this whole community outside uh, where the, all the basic services, food, and, and actually we're, we have these uh, doctors that are now going to come and, and do a clinic better meal, and, and um, you know, we're just doing the stuff that the society should be doing, but, you know, that the government should be doing, but since the government can't do it or has no will to do it because they're dancing to the tune of corporate profits, um, you know, they, they we're doing it. And so the largest city currently, um, well, some of the crazy cities that have, have re- limited or banned food up bombs are like Philadelphia, um, right. Detroit, of all things, during the uh, after the bankruptcy, when I was in uh, receivership, passed a law against feeding the homeless outside, and uh, it was not until after the bankruptcy had been, uh, you know, completed their whatever they were doing, and it became a, a so-called civilian government again. Um, they started enforcing laws, and they were actually threatened to arrest some priests in Detroit. Um, but really, uh, astoundingly, uh, for, uh, Los Angeles has a law pending to 
ban the sharing of free meals outside. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, well are you able that, to win these cases? I, so I'm interested because it sounds like you've won a couple of them down in Florida and some others. Are you, are, are you actually winning on the basis that it's your right to, to feed people? Or are you winning? Because what they've tried to nail me on is saying, well, you're, you're not meeting all the health codes for, for making food. How, okay, how well, here's you, an, yeah, here's the interesting thing. We actually win politically by through uh, the fact that we just don't give up and it freaks out the authorities and they give up. So we actually lost in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in the in Atlanta, in our Orlando case, which actually has direct bearing on the Fort Lauderdale case. So we haven't won the case in Fort Lauderdale. We just have a case. Right. Um, so we, we, we've only won a few cases, and one of them was when park rangers arrested us during Christmas in Pershing Square in L.A. like about 20 years ago. Um, but most, mostly it's just through political organizing. So this is our, our premise, and we stand by this because I, I went through years of trying to deal with permits so I had a, a you know environmental health permit food sanitation permit in, uh, in San Francisco I bought a million dollars liability insurance insured the city and county of San Francisco I had land use permits uh, I had the board of supervisors voted unanimously twice to give us a permit at UN Plaza and the police did not care they just arrested us every single day Wow. Keith, I'll tell you what, we've only got about three minutes left here, and I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about your book, (laughs) Hungry for Peace. Yeah, this hour, and I blew off one of the breaks, but that's okay. Our sponsors won't mind. Your book, Hungry for Peace How You Can Help End Poverty and War with Food Not Bombs, and your website, foodnotbombs.net, NET on the end, folks. There's a free PDF of it there. I'd encourage you to go ahead and order a hard copy. Tell us a little bit about this book and how people can get involved, because it it runs through, you know, how how to prepare. Are you willing? to get arrested or you're not who's, who's going to go first how to partition your food uh, it's like a manual a how-to manual of of feeding the homeless and sharing food yeah it's um you know this book um i keep revising it too as i was telling you chris and um and i and i think you know you part of the reason it's a pdf is because people you know we're in a thousand cities of the world we have a hundred groups in indonesia we provided the food uh to the survivors of the Christmas tsunami in Indonesia. We just did a whole huge thing with the cyclones in Cebu and Cebu and parts of Philippines. Uh, we were the food along with uh, rainbow families, uh, activists that we are friends with in um, uh, Katrina. Uh, we did food in New Orleans for eight months. The Red Cross gave out our uh, my toll-free number, 1-800-884-1136, to anyone seeking food. And um, so they raised the money, collected the money, and then gave out my toll-free number, and we sent the people to do the food. So all that's in the Food Not Bombs book. It also talks about, like, neo-Nazi attacks against Food Not Bombs in, in Russia. But it also talks about all the details, how to organize a meeting, how to organize a concert, how to organize a tour. It has the timeline of all the historic events of Food Not Bombs. It tells you about how to do civil disobedience and legal support how to avoid being accused of being a terrorist. And then also uh, one of the most difficult parts of writing this book was um, making the recipes for 100 and the recipes right. for six. So I have, I have that, vegan that recipes for 100. And, yeah. Oh, and doing the weights, metric uh, 
you know, because I, you know, I was in Ethiopia and places like that where Funa Bombs is really active, and they would go, we don't use these measurements for our, our food. <laughs> hey, Keith, uh, we are, I am sorry, it. my friend. I am going to have to oh have you God. back. We've got about 45 seconds left, folks. Go to christinney.com. I'm going to post links to everything we talked about to the website. Go to foods.bombs.net and, and check it out. There's all sorts of information. Keith, give your phone number out one more time before we go. Yeah, it's 1-800-884-1136, and you can find all that information at foodnotbombs.net. And uh, we need volunteers, and if you're hungry, we are happy to provide you with food. All right, guys, thank you for joining us today. Keith McHenry, author of Hungry for Peace, How You Can End Poverty and War with Food Not Bombs, on Up Close with Chris Tinney. We'll see you next week. This is the end of the show. You don't have to let the conversation end now. Visit ChrisTinney.com to learn more about today's topic. Listen to past shows and connect with like-minded people. Up Close with Chris Tinney is broadcast live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and rebroadcast online and throughout North America in select markets. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing, and we'll see you next week on Up Close with Chris Tinney.